God, your word says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It says his mercies never come to an end. It says they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Therefore, I will hope in him, says my soul. For you are my portion forever. God, I just pray this morning, um, just confessing how inadequate and unworthy that I feel just to be in front of these people, Lord. But I know and I'm confident because I've read it that you use ordinary men, regular guys, sinners, of whom I'm the worst, that you use those type of guys. And so I got I, I repent before you that so many times I am more worried about what these people think of me than what you think of me. And so God, I ask this morning that you would give me the courage that you gave Paul, who confessed to the Galatians that if he were still trying to please men, that he would not be a servant of Christ. So God, this morning I want to be your servant. I ask, Lord, that your word would come alive this morning because that's all we have. That's all we have that we know is true is you and your word. And we pray this. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody? I'm going to be honest with you. I just got word just a second ago. Um, by the way, my name is Reynolds. I'm one of the elders here. Most of you know me, and I know most of you, but if there's a, one or two new people here, um, good morning. Um, I just got word that one of my wingmen is sick in Atlanta. And so when I just got that word, there was part of me that just kind of went, oh, oh no. Oh no, because you guys know how I operate. You, I operate knowing that I go through life and I've got wingmen on either side watching me, protecting me, encouraging me. And I pray that I am that for other people as well. So the, the good news about that is that I look out here and I see friends and I see other wingmen. And so there are wingmen I can go to who I know who are just ready to attack if, uh, if things start going bad. And uh, I, have, I have told Paul already that if, um, if I go blank, this is the same thing this summer, if I go blank, if I go silent, just get the band back up and start cranking it up. <laughs> we'll go for an hour of worship, and that's fine, and we'll rock it on out of here. Or I'll just start in Genesis, and we'll just start reading. Okay, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So... Um, I like when we had the water stand, but that's okay, so I may go down every now and again. Hey, um, again, I'm just a regular guy, and there will be times uh, in this morning, and it's already happened, and it'll happen again, that, that, that the enemy will attack me, and he will tell me, he'll say, what are you doing up there? What are you doing? Because Danielle and I showed up about a year and a half, uh, two and a half years ago here at Crosspoint, because we knew the pastor, and we knew a few guys and, and couples and families who were, who were going here. And then I'm up here, and I go, what is happening? And so I tell you that to go, there's going to be space out times in here. But I tell you that to go, be prepared. Buckle up, because when you commit to push all your chips in to follow Christ, there could be some radical things that come before you. But if we choose just to kind of balance our life with the world and balance a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of the world, then take off your seatbelt, because that's an easy ride, and we're going to talk about that ride today. Hey, Brad and family, um, Joe and Linda from El Centro, Brad's parents came in last Tuesday. They are at Disney World. I believe they're coming home tomorrow, but I've gotten a few messages that things are going well. Um, kids are getting worn out. Arabella birthday was yesterday on Valentine, so they had a great, great time. I think they had... Um, breakfast or lunch with some of the princesses. It was a great day. So anyway, I believe they come back tomorrow. And I tell you this, um, this is good for Brad's soul to be able to rest. Those of you who know him, you know that he is pouring out his life for this tribe. You know that he carries a lot of your burdens. He loves the bride of Christ, the church. He, he loves you and, and he's all in. He's all in. And I think he's living his life like Paul told Timothy. I think he's pouring out his life as a drink offering. And that's what we should all be doing. But as a tribe, we should also be encouraging him. I don't know how this happens exactly, how we should do this. But we should be encouraging 
he and his family could get away like this. And if it means we have worship hour up here for one Sunday morning, or if it means we just start in Genesis and we do just start reading through, or whatever that means, I think we need to encourage him because, um, you know, this is a long haul. And he has told us before that he's in this for the long haul. But um, some of you know, I and some of the others in here, we run some long races. And I've told Brad this before. When we get to the end of a long race and it's kind of in the upper mileage and we're just dying and our insides and maybe coming out and, and we feel fatigue and we're just worn out, we start evaluating ourselves and we say, well, what happened? What happened? Did I mess up at mile 20 or did I mess up at mile 25? And the, the answer to that is, no, I messed up at mile 3. And so we, as, as Brad, kind of our lead elder and teaching elder, we need to, as a tribe, say, listen, don't wear yourself out at mile three because you're in this for the long haul. So we need to embrace that as part of this tribe because we can take every one of our packs and load it on him. And it gets very, very heavy. So let's encourage him and uh, thank him just for being bold enough to take the time to get away. Um, but he'll be back. He will be back. Um, if you are visiting with us today, here's who we are. We're a small little church. Um, we've been here about three and a half going on four years in April, and uh, we believe, like Ephesians 5 says, that the church is the bride of Christ. We believe that God, in all of his completeness, in all of his sufficiency, spoke the world into existence for his own glory. That's what we believe. And we believe that he didn't need us. He wasn't looking for us to help. He wasn't looking for a good helpmate or assistance. He just did it to bring himself glory. And he created man, and he created woman, and he created us good, and he was sovereign over everything. But in our own sinful nature, humanity through our forefather Adam sinned by nature and choice against God. And we do that still today. We can't blame Adam because that's our nature as well. And we do it every day. But basically in our life, and we believe this, that we have taken our life and said, I'm God. Or we've taken other things in our life and we've said, those are God. And we've replaced the real God who was sovereign over everything. And so truthfully, we believe that we, because of this, because of this sin, deserve the full punishment and the full wrath of God. And we deserve eternal separation from God but it says in Ephesians 2 but God in his mercy God in his mercy came to earth in the form of a man Jesus and he laid his life down because God said when Adam sinned against him he said because of that you shall die blood needs to be shed and he foreshadowed that throughout the entire Old Testament and then he came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, he said, I'm going to lay down my life. And as it says in 1 Peter, it says, the righteous died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. And we all know that in head knowledge because if we grew up, if you have any church time in you, you grew up in Sunday school, you know, I know those stories. I know those stories. But we believe here that it's more than just knowing those stories. We believe that you have to respond to that. And it doesn't matter if you grew up going to church every Sunday because we're in the South. And it's not hard to go to church every Sunday and collect a bulletin and not be, uh, feel uncomfortable about that. But we believe that you have to respond to that. And there's nothing good in us. It is by God's grace and by his mercy that he calls us to himself. And that's what we believe. We believe that God did that for us, but we have to respond. And when we respond, wherever it was, see, in the South we think, well, yeah, I responded. It was back in 1989, and, and, and I hang my hat on that date. But what we don't understand is we have to respond to that and that causes something in our life that we have to live differently because God says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that God's given us a new heart. And when he gives us a new heart, we'll have new desires. We'll have new motives. We'll want to do different things. We'll want to be more like Christ. And that's who we are. That's the gospel. But we have to respond to that.
So if you're new to Crosspoint, know that up front. We believe that this book, we believe that this book was written by God. Yes, men wrote it, but he inspired men to write this. So we, we hang our hat on this book, that it is true, that it's the very word, word of God written by men, inspired by God. And the reason we call that gospel good news is because God didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do any of it. He just did it because he loved us. So he's asking us, he's pleading with us to respond. And don't respond so it's a date that you can just etch on a, on a bedpost somewhere. But respond in a way that I'm going to live my life going after the Savior. I'm going to live my life going after Christ. That's the gospel. That's who Crosspoint is. So if you're visiting with us, we don't want you to go out of here saying, wonder what they believe. We believe that Jesus paid it all. That's what we believe. So let's get to work. Here's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in 1 Peter. If you can find 1 Peter, that's towards the end of the New Testament. And um, if you were here last summer when I spoke, I put some pictures of, of my feet on there. On the screen, I am not putting any pictures of my feet. I will go ahead and call that out right now. There was some clapping about that. But someone did ask Danielle if her feet were going up there today, and her, <laughs> her feet are not going up there. Um, we're going to be in 1 Peter today, and if you found Hebrews and James, and just to the right of that is 1 Peter. And here's what I want to do today in 1 Peter. I want to answer two questions. And here are the questions. Number one, as Christians... As followers of Christ, because some of y'all, most of y'all probably heard that, what I told the gospel, and said, yeah, that's me. I'm a follower of Christ. The first question I want to answer is, what lies ahead? The second question is very similar. The second question I want to answer is, what lies ahead? So we're going to answer the same question two different ways, and we're going to do it by looking at 1 Peter. So if you found it, I'm going to read uh, just a little bit, and then I'll talk about it, and then we'll read some more. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Time out. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you read the Bible like I read the Bible or have read the Bible since 1989, very inconsistently and over time, what I typically do when I read the Bible is I'll read that part, and I'll go, well, okay, that's cool, and then I'll read the next couple of verses, and where are the meat and potatoes of this verse? What do I need to know? And here's what I want us to walk away with today is that first line is very much meat and it's very much potatoes. Okay, so we need to stick a fork in that and we need to eat on that for a little bit, okay? Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What, what I'm holding in my hand are the very words of a guy who hung out with Jesus. If we think about that for a little bit, that should just blow our mind right there. But most of us as cultural Christians, as we just kind of make our way happily through life, have a Bible sitting somewhere in our house and occasionally pick it up and underline the verses we like. We don't chew on that. This, these words, as Brad talked about back in January, God wrote a book. This guy hung out with Jesus. And so we should read this book or we should read this letter knowing that this guy has a real story to tell. Because if you wanted to find out about Reynolds, and I was not around, if I passed away, and I wasn't here anymore, you would probably, there's probably two people you could go to. Um, well, one's here this morning. You could go to Danielle, and you could say, write us a story about Reynolds. Tell us what he was like when, when, he, when he was at home behind closed door. I mean, was he the same guy that, you see out in public as the same he was here. What about, when, um, what about when he got angry? What was he like then? Or what about, what about when things were going great? You could ask Danielle, and you could ask Terry Cole. Terry's not here this morning. He's my wingman that's not here. But you could ask him, because I've spent over half of my life with those two individuals. I live with Danielle, I don't live with Terry, but for all practical purposes, I do live with Terry. So you could ask those two people, you could ask those two people, what's he like? And so we need to look at this and we go, Peter, what was Jesus like? You hung out with him for three years. 
And this letter is written about 30 years after Jesus has left the earth. Okay, so we have a more mature Peter. Let me just kind of touch on a couple of things that we know about Peter, because Peter is a lot like you, and he's a lot like I. Let me just run through this quickly of what the Gospels tell us about Peter. And if you come to our Wednesday morning men's group, um, thank you for being gracious enough to kind of go through some of this again. And if you don't come to our Wednesday morning men's group and you want to, I'm going to catch you up to speed this morning in a matter of 30 minutes of where we are in the letter of Peter. But Peter, you remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking along. This is after he has been tempted and he has come out of the wilderness and he's walking along and he calls his disciples. And Peter and his brother Andrew have a business and they're fishing and they, they have responsibilities and you remember what he says? What does Jesus say to Peter? Follow me. Follow me. And we read that. We read it very quickly and say, that was cool. But imagine that Jesus walks up to you in the middle of your work and says, drop everything you're doing. Drop your net, so to speak, and follow me. That's the first thing we notice about Peter. And he did it immediately. It says he left everything And then we read later, we read in Matthew chapter 8, that he was just a normal guy because he had a wife. We know that because he had a mother-in-law, okay? Mine's here this morning. So we know if you have a mother-in-law, you likely have a wife because Jesus went and healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had a home. He was from Capernaum. So he's a business owner. Remember in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus, after he fed 5,000, is walking across the water? Remember who it was that said, if that's you, Jesus, call me out there. So he's a little bit skeptical. I'm not sure I'm buying your game. I'm not, I, I'm not impressed with you feeding 5,000. I'll be impressed if you get me out on that water. So he had a little skepticism in him. He had some confidence in him. Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, he said, who does everybody say that I am? Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist has returned. Who do you say I am, Peter? You are Christ, son of the living God. So he's confident. He was bold. He was part of the inner circle. Peter and James and John, they got to witness per- firsthand the transfiguration when he went up on the mountain, mountaintop and he got to see Jesus and he got to see Moses and Elijah. That's the letter we're about to dive into. Let's don't take this letter lightly. That's what Peter got to see. He was pretty arrogant in Matthew 26 when Jesus predicts his own death. And he says that, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter responds by saying, even if I had to give my own life, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I don't care if all these other boneheads do. I'll never deny you. Like we know what happened. Peter got to see Jesus sorrowful and troubled. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he got to see Jesus weeping. He got to see Jesus in pain. He got to see Jesus troubled. He was disobedient. You remember? You remember Jesus told James and John and Peter, he said, while I'm over here praying, you guys stay awake and keep watch. What did Peter do? Disobedient. Like we are so often. He was courageous. When Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to have to die. My life is going to be giving up. I have to be given up. He rebuked Jesus. Who rebukes God? Peter did. We might sometimes. Remember John chapter 13? I talked about this summer when, when Jesus came to wash Peter's feet. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. He rebuked him again. He said, get back. You're not washing my feet. Who does that? Just a regular guy. Regular guy. He was spontaneous. Remember when the, guy, when, when the group came, when Judas was leading them into the garden to capture uh, Jesus? What did Peter do? He cut the, cut the high priest's servant's ear off. Very spontaneous. Very quick to react. And here's what we know about Peter. One of the main things. He was a coward. Remember what happened? Jesus is being led away. He's in kind of the courtyard of the temple there, under trial. We know that Peter denied Christ three times. 
Do you know who came up Jesus, I mean to Peter? A servant girl. A servant girl. Two different servant girls. Don't you know him? Weren't you hanging out with that Jesus? Never knew him. Be like Bailey coming up to me. Don't you know Jesus? No, never, never knew him. Didn't hang out with him. What a coward. Same kind of cowardly acts we do oftentimes. And we know this too about Peter. We know that he seeks comfort. Because here's what happened. After Christ had died and he resurrected and he appeared to the disciples. And Jesus told the disciples, said, go out there. Go make disciples of all nations. You've got work to do. You're going to start the church. It's all up to you guys. Let's go. Let's giddy up. And then he's gone. So Peter's standing around with the boys. What do y'all want to do? Let's go fishing. He went back to his comfort zone. He went back to what he was familiar with. He said, maybe that whole walking on water thing, and maybe when he turned water into wine, and maybe when he, when he healed the, the sick, and maybe when he called the children to him, and maybe when he, he, he took the beating for me and he died on the cross, and maybe when he rose again, maybe that wasn't true. Maybe it wasn't true. Maybe he's really not calling me to go plant the church. Let's go fishing. But we do a lot of times. We go out on Sunday morning, out of Sunday morning. We're bold. We're fired up. Yes, 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 yes. Monday morning, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. That's Peter. That's Peter. He was up and down like a roller coaster throughout his entire life. I'm with you. No, I'm not with you. I'm not sure. I'm with you. I, mm, not, I don't know. I don't know. That's difficult. That's difficult. Now, I'm in. I'm in, Jesus. I'm in. I'm in. Now I'm going fishing. That's us. But here's what Peter, after 30 years, after 30 years, remember that we're reading this 30 years later, and after planting the church, he and Paul and all the disciples planting the church, he's telling, he's telling the readers, and I'm going to tell you who these readers are in just a minute, or the, or the, yeah, the readers of this letter, he's saying, listen, listen, I was with him. I was with him for three years. I saw the miracles. I was at the trial. I saw his flesh being torn. I saw him being crucified. And I saw them bury him. And I saw him alive again, our Savior. So listen to me, what I'm about to write to you. Listen. That's who's writing this letter. That's why we can't read Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and go, let's move on. This is an eyewitness. This is a guy who hung out with Jesus. Let's read it. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I read that verse, those two verses to Daniel yesterday. And I said, so what do you think I'm going to talk about out of that? And she said, I hope it's not the elect. <laughs> well, let me just say this. Let's move over that, okay? Here's what I have to say. If you are a follower of Christ, if you today would say, my faith is in Christ, I've responded to him, I've responded to him, what you said earlier, I believe is true, and it's not just words on a page, but it's something I've given my life to, and I'm going after him every day of my life, and I'm being sanctified, and there's fruit being produced from my life, then I would tell you this. You are elect, and in that we rejoice. In that we rejoice. But it says this, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here's who he's talking to. Those three regions, if you looked at the map today, that is modern-day Turkey. Okay, it's kind of Asia Minor. Big regions, about the size of California, maybe a little bit bigger. Okay, but it's, so it's a big area. And my mind goes immediately, it's like, how did those folks find out about Jesus? There was no internet 
There was no um, uh, postal service. We couldn't call. We couldn't text. We couldn't do anything. How did they find out? We don't exactly know. The guess is that Paul did some of his mission, not the guess, Paul did do some of his missionary journeys up in some of those regions. It does say that he was denied access to Bithynia, so we know that he didn't go there. Speculated that perhaps some of these Christians in this area were at the day of Pentecost. But we knew this, everything spread word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. So they're, and it says they're dispersed all across. They're not meeting in a room like this. Because we have to understand, those, for those folks, they were under the rule of the Ro- Roman government. That entire territory was under uh, Roman rule. So they didn't have a big church, great band, come in freely, park where you want, walk in, and let's go worship. This was a little bit more secretive. okay? And these folks were, were not necessarily getting persecuted physically at this point, although it was under the, they were under the reign of Nero at this point. But Nero has, had not cranked it up to the level that he was about to crank it up a few years let, uh, later. But they were undergoing persecution. So that we know that um, these are Christians. And we know that they were dispersed out. And we know that um, he tells them that they are in exile. That's the word I want to focus on today. When we say, what lies ahead? The answer to the first question, you know what lies ahead for us? It's the same thing that lies ahead for them. Exile. Exile. And they were very familiar with that word because they knew about the Israelites being taken into exile in Babylon. And it wasn't when the the Israelites were in Babylon, it wasn't that they were slaves per se. It's just that they were not free to worship their God. And so they were in a country where Caesar is Lord. So they weren't free to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And so Peter, being very familiar with that, understood exactly what they were going through. And he's trying to, in this whole letter, he's kind of saying, your life is a trial, boys and girls. Your life is a trial. It's difficult. It's going to be difficult. You see, Christianity, let's be honest for a second, and you may or may not agree with me, but haven't we always kind of in the South, maybe, Christianity, for me, I thought, well, becoming a Christian, yeah, I'll believe those things and it'll be pretty easy. Here's what I thought, because it was in college for me, or just after college in 1989, and I knew these things and I put my faith in that. And here's what I thought you had to do when you became a Christian. Immediately, I thought, well, um, this is a morality religion. I need to clean up my morals a fair amount. I, I should probably, personally, really, you should probably start dr- stop drinking as much as you drink. Um, because that kind of was one of my little vices. And um, maybe you should clean up your act. And so, so I thought, well, I'll do that. And then if I buy some Michael W. Smith, uh, it wasn't CDs, some Michael W. Smith and some Stephen Curtis Chapman, and I play that. And a friend's a friend forever. The Lord. Yeah. Some of you know that, some of you don't. I thought that was Christianity. I thought that's what you did. Just consume yourself with some Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and you're in. Clean up your act a little bit. That was Christianity. And, and I look back on it, and I go, if I can be honest, wasn't that a little bit pansy? <laughs> Isn't that kind of what makes Christianity a little bit unattractive? Okay. Let's just be a little bit more frou-frou. See, but now I read the Bible, and I read some things, and I remember singing this song. As a deer panted for the waters of my son. Y'all remember that? Give me a nod if you do remember that. If you, ever. you see, I think that's Psalm 42. Let me tell you something. I've discovered something over the last year or so. Paul and I, on every Tuesday and Thursday, well, let's just come out of the closet here. Once a week, we go run together. We're scheduled to go Tuesdays and Thursdays. Once a week, we make it. And Daniel and, and a few others, the Hawkster comes with us. We go to Britt David Park, and um, we do a lap, and then we do another lap. Let me tell you this. At the end of that second lap, I see Fincher panting and can i tell you that panting is not cute it does not look like a deer by a stream of water it looks like (gasps) (gasps) that's what the psalmist is describing when he says as the deer panted for the water my soul longs for you god it's not cute and pretty it's desperation The Christian walk is not easy. 
It's not a soft, pretty walk. It's not sign up, put some fish on your bumper, buy the shirt and the bracelet, and clean up your act. That is not Christianity. But that's how I kind of had it programmed. And that's what I bought into. And that's what I lived. And that's this trap I can still fall into if I get my morals right, my morality correct, my morals right, my morality correct, then everything's okay. Jesus says it has nothing to do with your morality. It has everything to do with following me. Because that's the message we get at the local Christian bookstore. Happy go lucky. We need the local Christian bookstores. I'm not knocking that. But the message is not always happy go lucky. I'm going to run through some verses. Because if you think that following Christ is easy, if you think it's easy, I don't see it written in this book. I don't see it. I'm going to run through a bunch of them. Don't try to flip, okay? Don't try to flip. Saying you're ex you're in exile, this is not gonna be easy. We've already been through one, Matthew 14, 9. Jesus told Peter and, and Andrew, follow me, stop what you're doing immediately, drop everything, drop every priority you have in your life and drop it and follow me. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on just read if you think Christianity is easy, just read the Sermon on the Mount. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If you've looked at a woman lustfully, that's adultery. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with him too. If you are angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. That's not easy. Matthew 7, 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew 8. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Drop your priorities. I'm your everything. I am everything if you're going to follow me. There is no halfway. Matthew 10, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Matthew 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have, come, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The rich young man came up to Jesus in Matthew 19 and says, what is it? What do I have to do? I've done it all. I've kept the commandments. I've done it. He said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, the mother of James and John came up to Jesus and said, In your kingdom, in your kingdom, can my, boys, can my boys sit on your right and left side? Can they hang out with you? I mean, they're good boys. They're good boys. He says, woman, you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? I mean, are you able to give it all? Are you able to sacrifice everything to follow me? When Jesus was taken captive and the officers took him away, it says the disciples left him and fled left them and fled. Mark 9, 35, if anyone would be first, he must be the last and servant of all. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Mark 13, 13, and you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Luke 21, 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. Sign me up for that. You kidding? 
Luke 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledged me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. We're almost done. Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 18, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells his followers, he said, I'm the bread of life. You want to follow me? You've got to eat of my flesh. You've got to drink of my blood. What? What? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And it says a few verses later. And after this, many of, his, of the disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. I understand this is hard. This is hard. This is not sign up and get the Michael W. Smith CD. This is hard. That's what Jesus tells us. Three more, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 1 John, 1, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, here's what I read when, or here's what I hear when I read that. It's not going to be easy. If you're going to do this, you're going to be in exile. It's not going to be fun. You did not just join a country club. This membership cost, and it costs you dropping everything. And see, this isn't a guilt trip morning to say, oh, have you dropped everything? But we've got to look at our own life and evaluate our own self and say, have I, am, I, am I really following this Savior? What am I holding on to? What am I clinging to that I'm just so afraid to drop? What's your net? Because remember, he's talking to the folks who were under Roman rule, where Caesar is Lord. And he said, this is what's going to happen. If you go in there and you proclaim Jesus is Lord, you're going to be talked about. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be left out. You're going to be abused. You're going to be lonely. It's going to be hard. You're going to want to pack it in. You're going to want to give up. But buckle up. Get ready. See, we kind of think, don't we, that, that I'm a good guy. I'm a Christian. I mean, really, God, you owe me a little bit of comfort. You owe me a little bit of feel good. No. I did not create you for your comfort. I did not create you for your glory. I did not create you for your name to be great. I created you to glorify my name and to make me great. That the name of God will reign over everything. Because, see, we're here in Columbus, Georgia, and, and Caesar is not Lord. Caesar's not Lord, but there's other things that are Lord in our life. There's money. There's success. There's power. There's position. There's reputation. And you say, no, no, I, but, but, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, but, but, but don't we kind of lean towards those things and go after those things as, as if they were our all in all? Yeah, but, I, but I, I've got almost perfect attendance. And I show up in Wednesday morning men's group as well. Jesus, no, 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 no. Didn't ask for attendance. 
didn't ask for you to clean up your act. Because, see, if you're, if you're willing to say, I'm going to live radically for Christ in Columbus, Georgia, it may not be, go roll this out tomorrow morning. Go roll this out at the water cooler. I believe that God spoke the world into existence. It just happened. There was nothing, and then it was. See what happens. Look at the stairs. You will immediately realize that you are in exile. And that you will be laughed at. You will be ostracized. You will be the Jesus freak. You will be the Bible thumper. You will have a different reputation. But we spend most of our life trying to maintain a a decent reputation because I want a little bit of the world and I want a little bit of Jesus. And Jesus is going, you can't have both. You can't. And if you follow me, be prepared to be in exile. It's going to be hard. See, when we know that that's what lies ahead, we have a tendency, I have a tendency to do like Peter. I have a tendency to kind of go, "Mm, I'm all in when I'm around my buddies and and when when I'm around my, my wingmen, I'm good. But it's when I'm out there flying solo, I'm not so good. And I have a tendency to pick up my net again and go back to what I'm comfortable with and just try to fit in and just try to get people to like me. And I worry so much about what people think of me because I don't want to be the Jesus freak. They might not be my friend anymore. What? Jesus is going, there you are, looking at your own glory. When Peter picked up his net again, he did that after Jesus had risen, resurrected, shown himself. He picked up his net again, went fishing. Jesus called him. He was on the shore. He said, come in here, boys. Come in here. You guys didn't get it. Three years. I said, it's going to be hard. Do we need to go through those verses again? It's going to be difficult. I leave you for a minute. You go back to fishing. You go back to your comfort zone. You go back to your feel-good mode. You go back to the spot where no one will talk about you because that's what you know well and you're a little bit scared. He says, if you love me, Peter, if you do, go feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, take care of my sheep. If you love me, Peter, follow me. What what about John? What are you going to say to him? Not worried about John. He'd say to me, Rental, I'm worried about Rental. You do what I've called you to do. Remember, I'm omnipresent. I'm omnipotent. I can be everywhere at all times. I can have a relationship with Bailey at the same time I have a relationship with you at the same time I have a relationship with Billy. I'm worried about your story. Worried about your story. Be bold. Go, go, go. Drop your nets. And then we read in the first part of Acts that the Holy Spirit came on those disciples. And at that point, that point, they ramped it up a notch. And in one day, Peter preached a message and 3,000 come to know Christ. In one day, we would have a children's ministry issue if that happened here. We'd have some problems in here. But they just started going after it. They went after it when the Holy Spirit came on them. And I love this in chapter 5. This is the mature, this is the more mature, um, this is Acts chapter 5, the more mature Peter, because they, had, they were out there just, just going all after it for Christ, and they had taken him in before the council, before the Sanhedrin, they had taken the guys in, said, you better stop, you guys better stop, you better keep your mouth shut about this Jesus guy, because this is not going over well. But remember who Peter was? He saw it all had the Holy Spirit, and he said this in verse 19, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then in verse 41, as they were leaving out of there, because one of the guys said, listen, if this whole Jesus thing is just a fluke, it's going to fall on its face. It's not going to last. So why don't we just let these guys go out there and make a fool of themselves? Because it will falter. And so they let him go. And in verse 41, Peter and the boys, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So when we're going through trials and we're in exile and, and we're made fun of and we're kind of, mm, you're that guy, we should, we should rejoice saying, yes, we've been, we've been called worthy. It is worthy 
that we get to proclaim his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's what Peter is saying to these folks who are in exile in these regions. He's saying, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I know what you're going through, but count it worthy to suffer for Christ. Rejoice in these sufferings. Rejoice. And we say to God, God, why do you make it so hard? Why do you make life so difficult? Why does a, why, how do we deal, God, when a plane goes down in Buffalo and 50 people lose their life? How, how, do, how do we deal with the fact when a mother dies suddenly and, and leaves a husband and children? How, God, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? He said, I didn't bring you on this earth for an easy life. I brought you here to glorify my name. So why is life so hard? Because God gets the glory by a life that proves faithful under trial. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. How? I don't know. But we don't ask how because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But God gets the glory somehow. And that's how we should live our life, knowing that we're in exile. That our life is a trial. And here's how I'm going to answer the second question. I'm going to answer it a little quicker. We're back in 1 Peter. Matter of fact, guys, come on up. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling these folks, he's going, you guys are in exile. It's going to stink. It's going to be hard. First Peter talks about life being a trial, life being full of suffering. And he says, despite all that, we should praise our Father in heaven. And you can call him Father. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Meaning your hope, your hope, folks, who are in exile, is in a Savior who is alive. Everything we have on earth is dying. Everything that we put our hope in on earth, dying. If you don't believe that your possessions and your money is dying, go online today and click your account. It's dying. And if that's your hope, but he's saying, no, I've called you to a living hope, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we answer the question, what lies ahead? And we know. We know what lies ahead for us today. Exile. When we walk out of those doors, this is a safe zone, but when we walk out of those doors, you know what lies ahead? Exile. Welcome to it. Buckle up. We're all in it together. That's why I need wingmen. I need people to shoot down the enemy. I need people around me because I can't do this alone. I cannot do it alone. I need wingmen. I need guys. It's going to be hard because life is hard. But you want to know what lies ahead? An inheritance. Ha <laughs> ha. How do, we, how do we persevere today? We all know what an inheritance is on earth. It's something that we get, usually because we are in the lineage of some family. So perhaps my mom and dad might leave me an inheritance, and it could include money, it could include possessions. But you know what happens with that inheritance? I'm either going to spend that inheritance, or I'm going to pass that inheritance on to someone else. But what Peter is telling us is you have an inheritance that doesn't go away. It's unperishable, imperishable. We know what happens to things that perish. They start to stink. They start to rot. It says it's undefiled. It means it's pure. It's clean. There's no spots or blemish in this inheritance that's waiting for you. It says it's unfading unfading when things fade 
You ever buy that? You ever buy that seven dollar shirt at Target? Y'all know me. I'm a little tight. After about two or three washes, it fades. But if you spend a little bit more on the quality of the fiber, and it never fades. And that's what he's saying about our inheritance. It never fades. It never loses its brilliance. And here's the great news. I've got to repent. This thing's being guarded. <laughs> being guarded. I used a reference last Wednesday that, um, you know, if I wanted something guarded on earth, um, I would call out some big old boys. And some of them are in here, but I made a mistake. Actually, I'd call Billy and Terry. I'd have those guys guarded. Those are my guys. There's a lot of you in here. I have Keith. See, I automatically thought of the biggest guys in the church, and I used their names. And then some guys came up to me. What about me? I could go. So all of you. I'd use you guys to guard it. But God's saying, now, how about this? I'm going to guard your inheritance. I'm guarding it. The NIV says it's a reservation, meaning it already has your name on it. When you go into a, to a restaurant and you have a reservation, you're expecting it to be there. And so if someone went up to heaven today and said, I want that spot, no, 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 no. Spot saved. That's an inheritance. That's an inheritance for the followers who are in exile today. It's waiting for them. Oh, and it's good. Oh, and it's so good. And it's so good. Let's pray. God. We know that today is so hard. Mm. We know what it feels like to be in exile. Mm. We know, I, I know that I know people in this room. I know, I know this for a fact that there is pain and there is suffering and there is trial and there is persecution in this room. God, I feel confident. And I know because your word said that you will give us strength for today to, to persevere. James writes, consider it pure joy when you suffer trials. The next verse, the next verse in 1 Peter says, rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. But God, we come before you and we rejoice. And I pray this morning, God, that... Um, if there's someone in here that does not know that good news that we talked about, the fact that you came and took our punishment, that you took the wrath that we deserve, I pray that if you'd speak to these people, help them understand that being born again is not just a one-time event, Lord, but it's something, it's a process, Lord. It's a process of receiving you, responding to you. <laughs> and then it's not just a life of Michael W. Smith cassettes going one after another. That is a fight. It's a battle. And it's going to be tough. But Lord, it's for your glory. It's for your glory that we respond to you. It's for your glory that we endure. And it's for your promises that you've given us of glorification, that inheritance. And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you.